Is the American factory truly vanishing? With competition from Asia and price pressure from big box stores, the deck is stacked against U.S. manufacturing. But my guest today has all the multi-position tongue and groove and slip joint tools to meet those challenges head on. This is YPO 10-Minute Tips from the Top. I'm Kevin Dom, and each week I bring you insights from the world's top executives of YPO, all made possible with grants from Gazelle's Growth Institute, growthinstitute.com. YPO member John DeArmond has a healthy respect for tradition. He's proud to be a fifth-generation DeArmond running his family's hand-tool manufacturing company, Channel Lock. But he also knows that nostalgia alone does not keep a company successful. As is his family's tradition, John began his time at Channel Lock at the bottom, mowing lawns and sweeping floors during his college breaks. As he progressed up the ladder, John implemented cutting-edge manufacturing technology, which brought both growth and efficiency to the legacy brand. After this success, John was named president and COO in 2014, the same year Channel Lock was awarded the Pittsburgh Business Times Excellence Award. After more than 130 years in business today, Channel Lock has over 350 employees and its 130 products are sold in 45 countries. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. I am a user of your product, so I, I am familiar with Channel Lock, but we're talking big old pliers. Exactly. It goes back 132 years this year. It was founded by my great-great-grandfather, George B. D. Armit, and he had two sons, Howard and Allman. They ran the business until early 30s through the 60s. And then my grandfather and great uncle were brothers of Howard DeArmond, and they ran the business up until about 1980, where my father, William S. DeArmond, uh, was named president. And he continues, he serves as our chairman of the board and CEO. And I guess it's been about four years now that I've been president and chief operating officer. So when you grow up in such a legacy brand name company like that, is there a natural selection process in order to decide who's going to step in and run the company, or is it driven by the desire of the descendants as they move through? Why are you here? I think over the years, it's a lot of luck. I think my father's kind of spoken to, how do you sustain a business that long in the family? Most family generational businesses don't last through the third generation. You've obviously beat that. A little bit of luck and circumstances just happen and where we're at now. And I started early on when I was probably 16. I mean, even before that, I can remember even going in on the weekends with my dad when he'd go in and open the mail and we'd go out and play in the plant and push carts around and the pallet jacks and so forth and just kind of goofed around and had a lot of fun. I can imagine knowing what I know now that when everybody came in on Monday morning and looked around and go, why are all these carts moved around? What's going on? But, so all throughout my life, been involved with the business. Our family has always said that you don't have to work at the business. If you want to work at the business, there'll be an opportunity to. We have some basic kind of guidelines that we try to stick to in terms of when and how, and we try not to create positions, for example. There are a lot of family businesses and legacy businesses in the YPO community, and I don't think that all of them are quite so structured in the way they're making decisions. So give me some examples of some of those guidelines. We don't really have them written down. It's just, it's more of an understanding that we all agree to. We want everybody to go to college, first of all. And, you know, while we're in college, we typically will work in the summer help capacity in all the different areas of the company. So in my case, I started in maintenance, mowing lawns, painting doors, sweeping floors, painting walls. And I started to work in the machining areas and spent some time running you know, some basic machines and then started to work through different areas of the company in HR, worked with my aunt at the time uh, with company picnics and different employee events. I spent some time with the sales and marketing team doing some hardware shows and other marketing type new product development work. 
And then I ended up spending my most time with the engineering and production teams, really working on plant layouts and doing that kind of thing. And I think that's really where we picked up my interest in the operations side. But really the most important part of doing all that is really getting to know everybody within the company and learning and appreciating what everybody else is doing to make the company successful, what it takes, what everybody's different jobs are. That really, I think, leads to having family members coming into the business and not just coming in as president and sitting down and say, okay, well, I'm the boss now. And I'm really speaking for my generation that we've all spent those summers and even working during breaks, working within the company, getting to know everybody. But how many years have you been working in management of the company? 22. 22. So between you and your father, you've probably seen one of the largest revolutions, both from a competitive aspect on price with Asia and also then the massive changes in the retail aspects, first to the big box stores, and then, of course, to the internet. Walk me through those two challenges, which you've obviously survived. Yep. We've definitely seen the tremendous change in the marketplace with the big boxes. I think through the 90s, as they were building hundreds of stores each year, we were a big part of both the two major big boxes. You were a benefit for them because they wanted the brand name, but I would imagine there was some price pressure in Absolutely. trying to stay in yep. that place. Yep. There's always been competition from low-wage countries, other parts of the world. 20 years ago, I'd say it was probably Japan. Today, it's China and other places. That's always been there. And we've always strived to make sure we're providing the highest value to our customers. We look at the good, better, and best model, and we try to stay as close to being the best, but still having the best value. And we've done a lot of work over the years. I've spent most of my career working in the operations with capital equipment, new technology, new innovation, to try to take out some of the labor-intensive, highly repetitive, difficult jobs and replacing them with technology and innovation. Because there's not a significant amount of work that you can do on the product innovation aspect, I would imagine. It's really got to be in how do you manage to adjust those cost margins right. for you. If you're making a living using your tools, I think innovation really comes down to value. And does the tool perform? Does it hold up? And will it last? And that's really our strength. Our main customers are the professionals out there in the trades, using our tools. So we make sure all of our efforts in the plant are not only maintaining, but improving the functionality of our tools. They still basically look the same, but if you look at how we're making them and in terms of how we're forging versus we, we're using die forges instead of drop hammers, we're using induction heating instead of gas-fired slot furnaces, we're using laser heat treating technology for hardening of teeth and cutting edges, and all the CNC equipment we've brought in to improve the accuracy of our consistency of our cutting edges. So you see technology as the benefit on the backside rather than on the front side. Yes, absolutely. So the more we can do in the plant to maintain our costs, keep them down, improve our productivity, and in the long run, it's going to keep us competitive. As the other manufacturers out there are chasing that low-cost labor around the world, which is one strategy you can do, we like to try to make sure we're focusing on making one thing. And that's another thing that's, I'd say, unique about Channel Lock is we focus mainly on pliers. We're a tool company. We have some resale items that get outside of that core product, but that's our main focus and that's what we do best. You know, one of our founding beliefs is bigger doesn't always mean better. So since you've been running the company, what's energized you the most and what's challenged you the most? I guess over the years, one of the things that I've learned focusing on the operations as long as I did, and it was almost 20 years, I was really in, focused on the process. I'm very data-driven. I'm looking at how we're making pliers. What's the best way? Is there a better way to do it? the budget of a capital project, project management of bringing in new equipment. But looking at the productivity improvements that we needed to make in the projects, I really was not aware of or focused on the leadership side of it. 
that it's so much more important now that I've learned after so many years, that awareness to what's happening around and how the people are responding and people are more important than machines. That's a founding belief. And we can bring in all the technology and innovation we want, but if people don't know how to run it, don't want to run it, don't know how to set it up or fix it or maintain it, it's not going to do us any good. So we really need to focus on supporting our workforce development as, as much as our technology and innovation. John, it's time for our rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Sure. What is your favorite question to ask when you meet someone new? Usually it's in a social setting. So it's, are you a bourbon or a scotch drinker? Bourbon, by the way. Name three of your personal core values. I'd say honesty, dependability, and integrity. Who has had the greatest impact on you as a leader? A couple people, Dr. Bell at the Bell Leadership Program. I started attending his programs a number of years ago and he really opened up my eyes to the personality side of the leadership and also heard Lou Holtz speak. His three things are kind of sunk in. Always do your very best. Always show people you care and always do the right thing. What is your favorite business book? The Goal by Eliyahu Goldratt. What are you reading right now? Right now it's Delivering Happiness, the Zeppos book. Tony Shea. Mm -hmm. What is the one leadership trait that brings success? It's attitude and awareness or effort called emotional intelligence. What is the one leadership trait that kills success? Lack of emotional intelligence. Name one daily behavior that will help a leader grow. Read. I think continuous improvement in yourself is important. Staying outside of your comfort zone, always trying to learn more. Name one trait that makes an employee valuable. Probably attitude and outlook, you know, being positive. What's your strangest daily habit? I have a tendency, I think I mentioned earlier about being data-driven, but I kind of have checklists and apps and spreadsheets for just about everything. And I kind of keep track of way too much, whether it's, you know, health and wellness issues or behaviors or you name it. What's the best way to show employees appreciation? Recognition, just saying thank you. I think that's the biggest thing. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And thanks to Gazelle's Growth Institute for underwriting this program. Learn more at growthinstitute.com. Join me next week when I'll be interviewing YPO member Santiago Jaramillo, who will share the real data-based secrets to employee engagement. I'm Kevin Dahm, and you're listening to YPO 10-Minute Tips from the Top. To learn more about YPO, please visit ypo.org.